a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we are talking Duterte, the strong man of the Philippines, the president, Rodrigo Duterte. He came to power. He's been very controversial uh, a couple of years ago, very controversial, Keith, ever since. Huge crackdown on the war on drugs and this making headlines, this crackdown he's just overseen on apparently corruption. Yes, that's right. So he's come to power on the basis of being a strong man. Now, that's a trend that we're seeing generally in politics. We see it obviously in the United States. We see it in Turkey with Erdogan, um, obviously Russia as well with Putin. Um, and you've actually got governments in Europe that now talk about being illiberal democracies. So there is a, a global trend towards uh, having strong people in office. So Rodrigo Duterte, as you say, came to power two years ago concerned about the high level of crimes, particularly around drugs. He'd had many years as a mayor of a particularly difficult city in the southern part of the Philippines. And he said, look, I cleaned up the drug problem there uh, and actually admitted to perhaps shooting people himself. Um, Proudly. Proudly. And he says, well, elect me and I'll clean up the drug problem. There certainly is a drug problem in the Philippines, as there are in so many societies. You know, we don't have to go very far outside this studio to see drugs. Um, So there certainly is a drug problem. His two years in office have been very controversial. Some uh, big flyers in the in the drug industry have been caught, um, but generally it's low level people who are getting captured and or killed. And um, there's some dispute as to whether or not they really were drug addicts, whether or not you're just sorting out local disputes, you know, old revenges, etc. That's always a problem with these so-called wars, that once they're run in a regular way, you get people settling, oh, that, that person's father killed mine, I'm going to sort that one out now, and I'll say it's all down to drugs. And so these people are not being um, tried in front of a court or anything, they're literally being shot in the street. And there's been some stories as well, quite harrowing stories of kids like teenagers having run-ins with so-called police in alleyways and then just ending up being shot in the back and just like like good, decent little kids and they're told to run and... They shoot them. That's right. And so what we're seeing then is that um, <clears throat> this crackdown um, is certainly leading to a loss of life. There's controversy as to how many hundreds, if not thousands, have actually perished as a result of being shot in this way. Um, but a lot of people are saying, I've got a colleague who goes back and forth to the Philippines, and his argument is that this is not really solving the problem. The drugs are still freely available if you go looking for them when you're in the Philippines. So two years of violence, but not particularly effective at cracking down on the drug problem. And now he's moved on to corruption, so that seems to be his new big thing, which we were just talking off air about. This is quite ironic because, of course, the way he's dealt with the whole war on drugs thing is pretty corrupt. (laughs) That's exactly. So he's obviously somebody who has his own interpretation of what the law should be. Corruption is is certainly an endemic problem in the Philippines. So, again, a bit like Trump and others, he talks the right language, which is the language of drugs, now corruption. These are the things that worry the ordinary person in the street, which explains some of his popularity with some people. Not everybody. You know, human rights organisations are obviously appalled about his behaviour. He's having a crackdown on some of the... A media as well, although the Philippines would be quite highly regarded in terms of Asian freedom of, of freedom of speech and, and the media. 
but he's now clashing with some of those media people as well. So we're getting this situation where he's talking the right sort of language, addressing the issues that are of concern to the ordinary person in terms of the speeches, but in terms of his actual actions, what he's achieving is very little. Right, so... How is he then being received by the people? Because they did love him when he came to power because he also said things that shocked people. Like he called Obama something that I have to beep out and a son of a bastard and he called the Pope a son of a bitch or something. He's been pretty outspoken and... Um, and even because the the population is very Catholic, they didn't seem to mind that at all at first. But how has it how has it moved on? And they, do they see him as someone who's accomplished a bit? Or? Well, it's interesting. His language against God is very, and there are a lot, there's a lot of his quotations on the internet. You can see him being very critical of God and the church. Um, some of which he, he would blame on the fact that the church is t- too often siding with the elite. Now, the church is is so embedded within Philippine society. It's one of the old Christian communities in Asia and it came over with the Spanish. So it's very much embedded in all levels of society. So there are obviously some local priests who are doing well, but you've also got bishops who are perhaps free, too friendly with the ruling elite and the big families. Uh, it's interesting because traditionally the Philippines gets to be ruled by the big families. Duterte would say, look, I don't come out of that ruling elite, therefore I don't have too much time for the institutions that support the elite. The other thing which is interesting is that he claims that he is a victim of Catholic sex abuse and has identified a particular uh, Catholic priest, uh, a member of the Jesuits. Certainly there have been compensation payments made by the Jesuits to the Philippines' victims. Um, Now, whether or not he's actually one of them, there's a bit of a question mark there, but he certainly does have a very aggressive attitude towards the church and also to God in a language that you would not see. Well, first of all, he uses four-letter words, which you certainly wouldn't see in Australia, (laughs) but also in a language against God that you wouldn't see in Australian politicians. They treat God as though God doesn't exist, whereas Duterte is clearly very angered by the existence of God and the church. And which is just quite bizarre because of... Well, when you look at someone, because again, his population is so Catholic, but then you look at someone like Trump, for example, who has embraced, who's probably the most godless man ever, but because he knows the base, his base, um, the view of his base voters is one of quite religious extremes in some cases. He's embraced the God thing. And they have embraced him. They see him as a flawed warrior, that he's doing all the right things, even though he's got a bad morality. Nonetheless, you know, as we've looked before, the movement of the American embassy to Jerusalem, which, by the way, is now being supported by Duterte. So Duterte may well move the embassy from Tel Aviv, which is where Australia has got its embassy, and all other countries have. But Duterte is now saying that he wants to move it also. He's playing an interest. Let me just say, we haven't touched foreign policy. It's well worth looking at his foreign policy because he's trying to work out where the Philippines should go now. Because the, um, the Philippines, of course, was a former American colony. Um, received independence, very much sees itself as a, a little bit of the United States, if you like, in Asia, the people speak English. But they with an American accent. With an American all, accent. Yes, you can always tell Filipinos <laughs> because they've got Filipino, oh, yeah. you know, they're quite American. So, um, but in a, you've got Trump who's now making America more isolationist. This has come to light in the dispute with China over what is called the South China Sea, if you're Chinese, or the West Philippine Sea, 
if you're in the Philippines, right? You've got two names for the same body of water. The previous president um, uh, took the dispute between China and the Philippines to the International Court in uh, in The Hague for uh, arbitration. The decision came down after that president had left office and had been replaced by Duterte. Duterte um, had the ruling um, and then said to Obama, well, it's a clear ruling on our side. China is in the wrong on this. Will you support us in standing up to uh, China? And uh, Obama said no. And so in the last two years... Duterte has learned you can't rely on the United States. And so Duterte has now um, sought to improve relations with with China, which, of course, China likes because China's got this Belt and Road Initiative. It's making huge inroads into Latin America through the BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, The number one trading partner for Brazil now is China, selling pretty much the same sort of stuff that we do to China. You can see the Chinese view. They want to get their suppliers competing against one another. Meanwhile, of course, the Philippines would also be um, another good addition to that network of um, Chinese providers of uh, raw materials. The Philippines is called the the Pearl of the Orient because of the immense wealth. It's an incredibly fertile soil. The lots of Yeah, lots of, fert, lots of uh, um, good agricultural land there. Um, I love going to the Philippines. It's such such vibrant society. Uh, so, it, you know, the Chinese are obviously saying, well, if, to Duterte, if you can't rely on the United States, you can rely on us and we'll be happy to improve relations with you. You'd think, though, that maybe the Philippines, because you can get cheap labour for something like Back to China for a second, you can get cheap labour and a lot of the, you know, crappy sort of like low quality things can be made there, Or but, but even high-end manufacturers can go to China and get things made. So you've yeah. got th- that are done cheaply. And the Philippines would have the same sort of thing. Do they have the same sort of manufacturing um, element to them? Or? And uh, they have manufacturing, although very little, but they could certainly step it up. Uh, don't forget the problem in China is you've got an expanding middle class. And the middle class are saying, get those dirty factories out of our area. So the Chinese will be looking to export, they are already exporting their factories. So they're looking for countries that have got a good, stable workforce, stable government, and can be relied upon to supply components. You've got to bear in mind that um, making things now, particularly very complicated things, as we're surrounded with here, with all this electrical gadgetry, etc., you no longer have one country making one item. The statement that Trump doesn't seem to realise is that iPhones can't be made in the United States. You need so many different components which are then sourced from a number of countries. Um, So the Apple phone, for example, if you read the back of it, says it's designed in the United States but assembled in China. And so China itself has to source bits and pieces from other countries like Thailand. And so with a good educated workforce, the Philippines can provide an educated workforce. So they'd be very good as a manufacturing base for China. And obviously they've got a government that'll turn a blind eye to pollution because a lot of this electrico-mechanical stuff is very polluting. You know, it gives the impression it's a clean industry, but the components going into it are actually quite dirty to make. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking today about the President of the Philippines. He's quite famous now around the world, Rodrigo Duterte, because he's got a foul mouth. 
He called Obama a son of a something and the and the Pope a son of a something. Uh, other people for full letter words. And, but he's also made uh, headlines around the world since he came to power a couple of years ago because of his war on drugs where he just essentially shoots and harasses anyone in the street that, that his task force think suspect of being drug dealers. But, of course, a lot of innocent people are now being caught up in it. Um, he's just quite the character. But you were, quite, you were comparing him because he's been seen around the world um, as sort of as a rogue, a renegade, one of a Trump-type character. But you see some similarities between him and an and then former Ferdinand president? Marcos. So Marcos um, was um, a leader who overstayed his time in office. The Philippines used to be a democracy. Um, and then Marcos, by governing through martial law, just kept on extending his time in office. And um, in, 19, in January 1986, I was in Manila for a conference and got caught up with all of the um, excitement of the election campaign because we're going to have another election. The Australian media are all taking the view that Marcus was going to get re-elected. Not a big story. He was automatically going to get re-elected as he has in the past. Um, thankfully, nobody in the Philippines reads Australian newspapers. So the Philippines didn't know what they were about to achieve. It was, in fact, impossible, but they were going to achieve it. So the, the leader then was uh, Cory Aquino, who was the widow of a leader, a Philippines politician who'd been shot with the connivance of uh, President Marcos. So he was actually killed on the on the airport tarmac because he returned to the country. Blatant warning. So she then became the politician. She never really thought that she was designed for that, but, you know, she, she took on that mantle. Um, and she then became um, the leader of the opposition, in effect. And in January 86, it was a presidential election, which... International commentators expected Marcos to get re-elected. Instead, we get this remarkable shift in public opinion and people saw this is an opportunity now to get rid of Marcos. I was at um, the um, last rally that she gave um, at the stadium and um, Time magazine said there were about between one to three million people in the stadium. <laughs> I arrived with a little nun, so the nun, all the nuns seemed to be short in the Philippines. So I arrived, and I was dressed like a journalist, plus obviously I'm not a Philippines person. And as we started to walk towards the stage to meet Mrs Aquino, the crowd just parted because they figured, here we've got a foreigner who can see what we are doing. So that was one of the most memorable days of my life, walking through either a million or three million people, not having to force my way through. They just created this corridor for me to walk the length of the stadium and get up onto the platform to meet Mrs Aquino. Mrs Aquino had actually spent um, a couple of nights earlier, had actually been sleeping alongside my bed. Uh, she was every night on the run because everybody said, look, you're going to get assassinated, so you've got to sleep somewhere else. And she ended up sleeping in the um, uh, Catholic girls' school, which had hosted this conference where I'd been attending. And uh, while I was um, trying to get off to sleep, I could hear a bit of a rustle with the wooden panel on the other side. Um, and that was actually, I only found out months later, it was Mrs Aquino that brought, it, brought her in after dark um, and she was going to spend a night there. So I always reminisce that it's worse, bad enough being worried about being shot. It's even worse having to put up with my snoring. <laughs> 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 but despite all that, she went on to, to run and we were all 
so impressed that we thought a new era was going to open up in, from January 1986, which was the International Year of Peace. It was a great curtain raiser to that international year. So Mrs Aquino then becomes president. Marcos flees the country from the palace. Malakanang flees the palace. The Americans look after his exit. Um, then the Americans might also have helped engineers Mrs Aquino's victory because Marcos <clears throat> was becoming far too much of a liability for the Americans. So he then dies in exile. Um, so Mrs Aquino becomes president. But the problem in, in the Philippines is that it's a very feudal society. So you have a handful of very big families uh, that own land, but then you have a far, no middle, very little middle class. It's just beginning to emerge. And then you've got the massive peasantry. So you really need to, to have economic development. You've got to have a thriving middle class. And Mrs Aquino was trying to mobilise and develop that middle class. Um, but you've still got these handful of families that own so much of the land, etc. As I say, it's a feudal outlook. So you've got the, the lawyers and the professional people in the big cities, but you've still got the vast areas of land owned by these big families, including her own. And they're not going to surrender their wealth easily. And so, tragically, we have not... We've had some economic improvements since 1986. I think it's one of the reasons why the Americans were happy to see Marcos go, because clearly Marcos was stifling economic development. If you look at that part of Asia, you know, Singapore powering ahead, Malaysia, Thailand... The Philippines was the odd one out because it was not developing. So the, obviously there was a lot of potential there. The people speak English, um, well-educated uh, people. So um, there was obviously a feeling that if you just liberate these people from this terrible martial law dictatorship, that you could get flourishing economic development. And there's certainly been improvements. Certainly the life of the average Filipino today is better than it would have been in uh, January of 1986. So there have been improvements there. You've got economic development taking place. You've got hotels being developed, etc. That's all good news, but you've still got these big systemic issues of, uh, of corruption, of maldistribution of wealth. Um, it's interesting to note that the largest single source of export revenue in the Philippines are women. So these are Filipinas who go overseas to work as maids in shocking conditions oh. in Hong Kong and the Middle East, particularly Saudi the Middle Arabia. East, Saudi Arabia, mm, mm. where they get uh, terribly Treated exploited. Uh, terribly. Terribly. And then they, they remit money home. It is those remittances home that constitute the largest single source of Philippines' export income in terms of earning money. So, sure, they're, they're selling some resources, they're set, they've got tourism coming, but it's these women who are actually called the heroines of the Philippines who, by their service, by sending the money back home to their families, are helping to support that family. So it's an appalling situation. Oh, um, it's just such a sacrifice to make for, them, for their families, Absolutely, for yeah. It's an appalling situation. Now, so you then get Duterte coming into office, and unfortunately in, in his two years in office, even more so this year than last year, he's beginning to use some of the language and the actions that remind us of Marcos. The use of martial law is, is a good example that the free hand that's being given to the the military in Marcos's day it was called salvaging. Now we call it a war on drugs, etc. Um, some of us are getting very worried that we're getting the clock put back to the bad old days before 1986. 
Um, and that's a tragedy because <clears throat> the Philippines are a really good country. Oh, I really hope it doesn't change. I've yeah. got friends that go there all the time as well who just speak about its vibrancy like you do. Yeah. There's just so much passion in your <laughs> eyes when you say it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a really lovely country to visit, but it's got a lousy government. It's had a lousy government really all the way along. As I say, Mrs Aquino thought she could try to improve it. You've had a variety of, of other presidents who've come and gone, but these are basic systemic issues. You've got a wealthy elite class who will not hand over their money and power easily. That is the logjam. And unfortunately, so many of the politicians that come to office are from that ruling elite class. Or someone like Duterte, who was a, a mayor uh, in his, part of that elite for over 20 years. So he's also succumbed to the temptations but he just of doesn't, that ruling elite. He just doesn't sound like them. It's just an all in the delivery. It's just like Trump again. Yeah, exactly. It's Trump. So this is the new style politician. You come along as someone who identifies with the poor, but you may not do very much for them. Another big week of learning. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, Keith. <laughs> this has been Global Truth with Dr. Keith Suter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app. <laughs>